one other major, major milestone that allowed me to totally change the way I approached auditions was realizing that you can't read minds. That is television, commercial, and voice actor Chris Agos. And I'm Lee Foster. You're listening to Action, the no bullshit podcast dedicated to the pursuit of acting excellence. Chris's TV appearances include recurring roles on Chicago PD, Chicago Fire, and Boss, as well as roles on Sirens, Betrayal, Mob Doctor, and many more. His book, Acting in Chicago, taught me everything I needed to know when I moved here three years ago. Enjoy this episode. All right, Chris Agos, really, really excited to have you on. Um, I got to know you through your book, actually. I moved to Chicago from Minneapolis in 2013, and uh-huh. I found your book, which was a godsend. And <laughs> it's called Acting in Chicago. And I, it, it just taught me everything I needed to know, and it saved me probably two years of bumbling around trying to figure it out for myself. So thank you. Good, good. No, thank you, first of all, for um, uh, for buying the book. Thank you for the invite to be on the podcast. I'm, I'm super excited to be here. Um, and I'm glad that the book helped you so much because really, you know, that's why it was written. It was written to be able to um, cut out all of the fat, you know, and, and try to get to the heart of what you really have to do in order to not only be an actor in Chicago, but also to um, make a living at it. And, uh, you know, I went through what most people went through when I first started, I knew nothing and I knew no one. And it took me literally years to figure out how the business in the Midwest worked. And I thought I could save a lot of people a lot of time if I just put this into a book. So I'm glad it, 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 you found it helpful. I'm glad you, you, you liked it a lot. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely cannot recommend that book enough to anybody who's thinking about moving to Chicago or has just moved to Chicago or has been in Chicago trying to make it work for years. It, it will help you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So, um, hopefully we get to have a couple of these conversations over the following few months and we can get into more specifics, but I want to talk generally on this one. I know that you have a multifaceted career. You're very successful in, uh, voiceovers, TV, film, uh, commercials, uh, industrials, all that stuff. Um, for the sake of this conversation, let's stick mostly to the TV and film side of things. Sure. Yeah. Happy to. Um, I'm looking at your IMDb and you've basically been on every show that's ever come into Chicago, uh, <laughs> including uh, recurring roles on multiple shows, four episodes on Chicago Fire, nine episodes. By the way, we shared two of those episodes. Really? Yeah. Uh, on, on Fire or PD? On Fire. No kidding. From yeah. this season? This season, yeah. Who'd you play? Uh, I played a guy named Austin Becker. He was the love interest to uh, Brett Sylvie. Oh, oh my gosh. Right. I remember that scene. You're the guy at the at the restaurant, right? And yeah. you're like telling her about your maybe not so uh, attractive past, right? Your brush yeah. with the law. Yeah, oh, that, cool. That was, that was one of the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. That was a great scene. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. So then uh, nine episodes so far on Chicago PD, recurring role on Boss, on and on. Let's yeah, start. I've been really lucky. <laughs> I've been really lucky in the past like five years. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about 
the major milestones in your career starting from the beginning? Mm, starting all the way back in the beginning. Well, I would say, uh, first of all, when I got started, I got started just as a voiceover guy. I had no intention of being an actor at all. Um, I, I went to DePaul, uh, in, in Chicago and my last semester of my senior year before I graduated, I had, um, virtually no classes. I had like one class that I had to take because that was the only time of the entire year they offered it. And so I was finished with everything except for this one thing. And I had some free time and I thought, wow, I'm, I, I what am I going to do? I'm in this big city and I've got, you know, all this time. What should I do? And, you know, if I was smart, I would have gone out and gotten a job and earned money, but I didn't do that. Instead, I thought, well, I'm going to take voiceover lessons and um, just see what that's like, because I, I always thought it would be kind of interesting to, to, try VO. And so I found a guy and, you know, I'm a lot older than you. So this was a long time ago. This is way like pre-internet. And, you know, I literally looked in the back of a newspaper and, you know, in found an ad in the classifieds that was like three inches tall and, you know, called the number and said, Hey, I want to learn how to do voiceover. And at the, at that time, I think this guy was the only guy in town teaching and I just took lessons and I, I sucked. I, I stunk and I knew it, but I also kind of got hooked a little bit on it. So, um, uh, I studied with him for a couple of months, put together a voice demo and, you know, hit the pavement, started shopping agents. And it took me six months to get an agent and then another six months to get my first job. So that was like a year of doing nothing, but basically trying to convince somebody that I had some kind of potential, um, once I got that agent, I was like, wow, I have an agent. Things are so going to happen now. I am off and running. Um, and in the meantime, mind you, I had graduated from college at this point and I had plans to go to medical school, but I, I fell in love with the whole idea of doing voiceover as the more I learned about it and the more I, I learned that I, I kind of had a knack for it, um, that I had a chat with my parents and I was like, look, med school is always going to be there. If I'm ever going to do anything crazy, I should do it now because I don't have any obligations to anyone. So I'm going to go and, um, I'm going to try this voiceover thing. We're going to see what happens. And, you know, they were, you know, looking back on it, they were not thrilled with that thought, but they were supportive and they were like, yeah, whatever you got to do, go, go do it now. And so I, you know, bailed on medical school and said, I'm going to try to, to be a voice talent. So I would say that decision was like a major milestone, even though nothing at that point had happened. What was different for me was that I had totally switched commitments. I had been committed to, you know, going to med school and becoming a doctor for as long as I could remember at that point. But there was something else that was much more interesting to me about voiceover. So I made the commitment to do that instead. And I always put it in the back of my mind. I was like, okay, if this doesn't work out, I'll always go back to med school and I'll be a doctor. And, you know, that's probably what I should do anyway. But let's just try this. Um, so I would say that, that that was definitely milestone number one was making the commitment to pursue this. Um, you know, it just kind of took off from there. I think it took a long time for me to figure out what the next milestone would be because between the time when I got started and about five years into my career, I knew nothing, man. I mean, I was so clueless that 
I had a, a voiceover agent. My first agent would rep me just for, for VO. And she said, Hey, why don't you, you know, think about doing on camera at some point? And I was like, what is that? What do you mean on camera? You mean like commercials? And I literally didn't know what she meant. So I literally, literally didn't know what she meant. And I, I asked her, you know, what do I have to do? Should I take some classes? Should I, you know, what, what's involved in that? And she pointed me in the right direction of, of a couple of classes. And I took those and I was like, kind of good at those. And then, uh, it just kind of took off from there. So I spent a good five years just getting an education. And in the meantime, I was lucky enough that I was able to book some work during that time. And so my education was, uh, you know, came out of Chicago's acting schools, but also really on set. I mean, I really learned everything I know from other actors and from directors while I was getting paid to learn that stuff. Mm. So, um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty lucky in that I was able to, to do that. Um, that kind of went on for a while. And, and as I got to know more of what I did well and what I bring to the table, you know, as an actor, then I was able to kind of switch focus and, and focus more on that kind of stuff which I think was another major milestone was discovering what it is that I do well. And what is it that you do well? I'm the guy you trust. That is my thing. So I get hired to deliver information that might be, you know, it might be mundane information, but you have to trust the source. And so I'm that guy. I play, you know, when I do TV, I usually play a doctor or a lawyer. And it's usually because those roles need some, you know, level of gravitas, some level of authority. And you also have to buy what that person is selling. You have to understand that, you know, that person gets what he's talking about. I only can do that because I spent at least 10 years working in the corporate market, doing industrials and training videos and sales stuff. And my job was to sound like I knew exactly what I'm talking about when I had no idea what I was talking about. Um, so my ability to take a script or some copy and make it sound as though I know exactly how to place this, uh, scalpel in such a way that will, you know, cut down on the amount of lost tissue and scar tissue and all that stuff. I'm not a doctor. I have no idea, but over, over the course of many, many years of working in industrials, I sort of developed this way of of being on camera that allows me to, you know, put forth the the image of of being an expert. Mm-hmm. And so um, I approach pretty much every script that way now, whether it's ad copy or corporate stuff, which I don't do too, too, do too much of anymore, or even a TV script. I figure out what is this guy an expert at, and how can I communicate that. That's what I've figured out over the years is that I'm, I'm the guy you trust. And, uh, I just go in and I, I, I look at every, everything that I do. I look through that lens. So what are some tips for the audition space that you can, uh, that you can talk about when it comes to coming across as being that trustworthy person? Right. Well, I think the, I want to, I want to jump back just one second and, and definitely let you know that one other major, major milestone that allowed me to totally change the way I approached auditions was realizing that you can't read minds. And I think for the longest time I went in to every audition trying to figure out what do they want. And 
that's such a fool's errand you, because you just can't possibly know what any director or any producer is going to want. Um, so by realizing that I can't read minds and I, I can't go in there and give them what they want, there's no other option than to just give them me. And, you know, sometimes that's enough and that lines up with their, with what they're looking for. And then you get the job. Other times it doesn't and you don't, and it's not a big deal, but it takes the pressure off of trying to figure out what it is that you quote unquote should be doing in that audition. So I would say that the very first thing that, then the most important thing, at least for me is, was the realization that, you know, I just, I just can't predict what it is that they're looking for. So I don't even try what I do then is, is I just go and I, I let the material guide me and I let my knowledge of myself direct the approach in, in the audition. So that was huge. That was a, that was a big thing. The other thing that was also kind of a, a, a nice tip that somebody gave me, and I wish I could remember who it was, but I, I can't give them, I can't give them credit, um, for it because I don't remember exactly where this came from, but I'm sure you've had auditions like this where you go in and you're like totally prepared or even just moderately prepared. You go in the room and the audition starts and you're doing your thing. And then, then the audition is over and you walk out of that room. And when you get back into the waiting room, you don't remember anything that really happened. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. You know, yep. Like your mind just, get, you know, you're on autopilot and, and you can't tell anybody the story of that audition because you just don't remember what went on in that room. Right. And I was there all the time, dude. I mean, I was in that place all the time. It was like I blacked out in my audition. And I was, I was talking with somebody about this and they were like, well, just take a second and feel the ground under your feet. And I was like, what, what, what do you mean? Feel the ground under your feet. And they're like, just try it. Just feel the ground under your feet. And that will bring you physically into that room. Take one second and go, okay, I'm standing on carpet, standing on hardwood, whatever. And that gives you something physical to like latch onto. And I tell you what, I tried it and it made all the difference for me. It brought me, for whatever reason, it brought me very much into the present. And I was able to keep my wits about me and very much keep, you know, the generic thing to say would be to keep in the moment. But I really was actually in a room now talking to a person as opposed to just, you know, reciting a script that I'd rehearsed a million times. Right. Um, that's, that's another thing that I do. You know, I just, I walk in and I just take one second and I go, boom, there's the ground. All right, let's talk to people. That also made a huge difference in, in the quality of my, my auditions, because at that point, you know, you're just two people talking instead of an actor trying to get a job. Yeah. We get so wound up around this whole auditioning thing and it can become something that's so much bigger than it actually is in our brains and that just leads to us being nervous and the audition goes off the rails and we become this like smaller nervous insecure version of ourselves yeah and it's weird because you know depending on where you're at in your career you can you know, your, your audition that you're on that day might be the first auditions you've had in a month, in six months, you know, it might be your first audition ever. Right. So it's a big deal to you. It's a big deal to us when we get an audition. Cause we know it's a win, even just to be in the room, it's a win. Right. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember that on the other side in the casting world, 
you know, it's not a big deal for them, man. I mean, they have a need that you would like to fill, right? And they need to, to find the right person for that. But like the stakes aren't as high for them as it is for us. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm always a big fan of just kind of keeping in mind, you know, I'm there to help them out. It's not like if I, if I, I can't think about not getting this job or even getting this job. Um, because if I put it in those terms, then the, the pressure just goes way up and I don't need that. I got enough pressure. I got words to remember. I've got blocking to remember. I've got a, a million things I got to think about. I don't need to worry about, you know, if I'm giving them what they want or expect, or if, if I'm satisfying their, their need, because this is so important. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything I can do to take the pressure off myself, uh, you know, became really important for me. Mm-hmm. Um, my, you know, my attitude is, look, you know, they've got, they've got a need, they've got a hole that they have to fill and I might be able to help them with that. So let's go see, you know, it's, I, I try to keep it as simple as that. Sometimes I can, I can help them out and sometimes I can't, you know, the other thing that, that I, a little mind trick that I, I play with myself because it is, it is true that we play mind tricks with each other all the time with ourselves. Um, I just realized that because I can't predict what they want and I have to keep in mind that it's not ultra, ultra important for them. It's probably more important for me Then there really isn't a point in being there. Right. I think a lot of actors go into an audition and they realize they think to themselves, the point of me being in that room is I need to get this job. And man, I, I don't know. If, I mean, that's a, that's a lot to put on yourself. It's a really heavy expectation to put on yourself. And so I think, you know, another thing to keep in mind is that, you know, we all have ways of putting pressure on ourselves and, and, you know, I'm a big proponent of trying to take as much pressure off ourselves as possible. Something to think about is that our job in that audition, especially an, an initial audition, like if we were going in for a pre-read or, or we're not, you know, we're going to put ourselves on tape um, and we know the producers will see it eventually, but it's not exactly a producer session because it's not a callback. Something to keep in mind is that our job is not to get the job right then and there. You know, it's, it's to get a callback or at least, you know, you've heard the expression, don't worry about booking the job, work, worry about booking the room. Totally. I think too many actors get caught up in, in the end game, the result, they're too results oriented, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and you got to stay away from that because if you're, if you're so focused on, on the result, you know, the numbers are definitely against us. We, we more often than not don't get the job. And so if that's your measure of success, you're going to be disappointed a lot and that you're going to bring a lot of additional pressure on yourself. So, you know, I just try to try to keep in mind, I would much rather get a callback. I mean, yeah, I want to get the job, but even if I just get the callback, that's, that's a huge victory because that's where the long-term relationships really start to grow. Um, that's true commercially. It's true, um, in terms of industrials and it's also true in, in terms of, you know, the, the TV and film casting directors, they're going to know the people that they can count on to do really, really well because they've seen you do it and they've seen the result. The result is you get a callback. There was a show in town. I don't remember what it was, but it was, uh, oh, it was Playboy Club, which I think only lasted a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, I'm sorry, a couple of episodes. Yeah, yeah, not it was like six episodes or something. And when that was around, I auditioned for, for the pilot. I auditioned for like episode two, three, four. I mean, I just, I never, never landed in that show. 
But the fact that I was brought back multiple times in its very short life here in Chicago speaks to the fact that I was doing solid work. It was just a matter of time before I was going to book something on that show. Right. And that's that's as much as you can hope for. You know, yeah. you knock, knock it out of the park every time. But if you're if you're always on the list to be brought up to the plate, that's you've done your job. Absolutely. It took me a while to figure that out. And I used to, I think whenever anybody starts, they think, you know, it would be so amazing if I booked this job, if I booked this commercial or booked this industrial, whatever, it'd just be so incredible. And it would be incredible. And and I totally get that. But it took me a number of years before I realized that the audition is the first win, number one. The callback yeah. is the second win. The, the second win is not booking the job almost almost every time. And I remember when I moved to Chicago, I started getting callbacks to these TV auditions or I would get director session um, auditions, Mm -hmm. which for people who don't know, it's, you have to be doing something right to get director session auditions. Um, Yeah. There's a lot of trust there. I mean, the, the, the CD trusts you to not make them look bad. Exactly. You know, so, exactly. Yeah. And I remember I told, not to, not to brag here, but I told one of my friends who's not an actor at all and he doesn't have any aspirations to be an actor. I told him it's only a matter of time before I book one of these shows. And he kind of laughed at me a little bit. And about two weeks later, I booked my first TV show, network TV show, which was Empire. He, he saw me on it or something and he just texted me. It was only a matter of time. And it was true. I mean, there's a point where you just know that. You just know that it's only a matter of time. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's very true. I mean, if, if you're out there and you're getting the callbacks and you know, you're being put on a veil, um, and you're released, you know, I, I've talked to people who have been on a veil six, seven, eight, nine times, you know, in a year and released every time. And they're so bummed out about that. And I get it. You know, they want to get the job, but at the same time, they are so doing something right. They shouldn't be bummed out. Um, my record with one casting office in town was 12 in a year. So once a month I was put on hold or on a veil or whatever for a job and then released. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard to keep your chin up during times like that, but at the same time, you're totally doing something right. You know? Yep. Absolutely. So Chris, what is something that you see other actors do in this business that's ineffective, whether that's on set or before auditions or anything like that? You know, I used to do quite a bit of teaching and the same issue came up over and over again. And if I had one thing that I could tell every single actor in in the world who, you know, because, because I saw it all the time, I would say, just stop trying so hard. You know, it's, it's like, there's, there's a lot of, I don't want to call it overacting. I don't want to call it being too broad or whatever, but there's just, you got to learn to let the words do the work. It's not, up to, to you, the actor to make something happen. The writer's already giving you everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, pretty often I would see actors just trying too hard. Um, and that goes for not only in a class situation, but also in, in an audition situation. Now, when, when we talk about TV and film, you know, we're, we're usually not auditioning with other actors. There's usually a, a reader in the room and, you know, some readers are better than others, but for the most part, they're not there. We don't audition in pairs. We do that in, in commercials, but I can't tell you the number of commercial auditions that I've kind of had ruined by people who just pushed too hard and just were, were trying to make the point that they, they get the scene the best or that they can be the funniest or they can do this or the most wry or whatever. 
So I would say, take a big deep breath and just let the words do the work for you because you don't have to work so hard. Yeah. That was the, the major milestone in my career too, figuring yeah. that out. It took me a while, but I, I, I think it takes everybody a while. And you know, at, at some point it clicks with you because if you're, if you're taking sort of an observational approach to learning, you know, like, I mean, me, I, I had a couple of classes in, in schools, but really at the beginning I said, I, I, and this is really, really true. I was learning on set. I was learning on the job and how I was learning was I was watching and listening other people who were way better than I was. And I just noticed that they just didn't try so hard. And it was like, wow, I don't, I don't have the technical term for that. I can't tell you, you know, the reasons why that works. But as a consumer, as a viewer, I know that that works, that I believe them a whole lot more than the guy who's, you know, being super pushy and just trying really hard. So yeah, I think it comes to everyone with time. Sooner or later you get it. And when you get it, it changes, changes your work. I could not agree more. Um, I'm going to switch gears here and ask you, something that I've wondered about for a while, because I know that you're very proficient at ear prompter. And I also have seen your reel, your television reel, and you've got some monologues that are just dense with specific jargon of yeah. one kind or another, long spans of just spouting off yeah. stuff that I don't know <laughs> what it is at all. I mean, stuff I don't, it means nothing to me, but, um, but you look like you really know what you're talking about. And I just think, how the hell did that audition go? Um, so <laughs> yeah. do, do you use, do you use ear prompter in TV or film auditions ever? I have never used ear prompter in the TV or film situation. Um, you know, that's not to say that ear prompters haven't been used on set before. I have a, I have a great story. Um, that I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll keep it fast. I have a friend who, was a Chicago actor for a long time, moved to LA. And, um, this was back in the sort of mid nineties, late nineties. And he had an episode, he booked an episode of the West wing and he played a Senator. And I guess on that show, the writing was pretty fast and furious. Changes were coming in left and right. And he had a big scene where he had to do a, a speech at a rally and he was in his trailer and, you know, he's supposed to shoot the scene at 11 o'clock in the morning or whatever. And at like 1030, a knock on the trailer came and, and the PA opened the door and was like, we're really sorry to do this, but they just gave you a revision. And the revision they gave him was like this, you know, monstrously huge, long speech that had nothing to do with anything that he had learned before. And he had, he just happened to have his gear with him, his bag with his ear prompter in it, you know, and he didn't even really use ear prompter that much anymore because in LA you, you don't really use it that much. And, uh, he put it on his prompter and went up and did it in one take. And everyone was just like floored that he was <laughs> able to, uh, to, to do this, you know, this amount of material with literally no warning at all. And of course, he just kind of played it up like, yeah, well, you know, it's good to have a good memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Hire me next time. Exactly. Exactly. So that's the only instra uh, instance that I've heard of, of your prompter actually being used on a set. I'm sure it's been used other times. Me personally, um, the, the scene that you are talking about on my reel was a scene from boss. Uh, I auditioned for that role, but I used, uh, the audition scene was a much different scene. That was, uh, the third episode into my time on the show. And by that point, you know, they, they didn't give me much in advance. Um, 
you know, if you've ever, you've worked in TV, so you know that you don't get a terrible amount of time mm -hmm. to, uh, uh, to study, you know, your script. And sometimes that's okay because you don't have that much to do. And other times, you know, you're like, wow, I really wish I had a lot more time with this because this is not easy. Mm -hmm. And that scene in my reel was one of those days where I, I got that script at like midnight. They rang the doorbell on my house at my house and like said, here's your new script. And I had to shoot it at, you know, seven o'clock the next morning. Um, so that was just a very long night of me being up trying to memorize this. And what you, what you don't see in the shot is, you know, I've got a script like under my, in my chair, I've got a script in the papers that are on the table in front of me. And, uh, uh, all I can say is that, um, Mario Van Peebles, who directed that episode was the kindest, uh, most generous director uh, at least in my experience that day, because man, did I struggle hard with that scene. You're right. It was very, very long. It was very complicated. It didn't make a hundred percent of sense to me, be, you know, especially just reading it for the first couple of times. And, um, it was very medical jargony. I played a lawyer who was uh, involved in a lawsuit, a class action lawsuit. And it was, you know, we were talking about cancers and mesothelioma and carcinogens and all this stuff. And, you know, the editors at the end cut together what looks like a pretty solid take, but I think it took me six or seven passes at that speech to, to get it right. So in terms of using ear prompter, I've always found that I love ear prompter and, and it's, it serves me well in lots of situations, but what it does do is it takes me out of the situation just mm -hmm. enough. It distracts me just enough that while I'm still able to act and I'm still able to, to remain present and, and follow the goals of the scene and all that stuff, I'm just not super 100% comfortable with using it in, in an audition for a TV show. Mm -hmm. I've used it in commercials. You know, if I've got wordy, you know, copy and in, in, in commercial copy, I've used it there. I don't mind. Certainly for corporate stuff, you know, it's, it's used quite often. Uh, but for TV and film, I just, uh, just not quite comfortable with it. So I've, I've never done it. Yeah. All right. So Chris, so I know that you are somebody from being around, I've seen your stuff. I've seen your reels. You've done a ton of work. I've, you know, I read your book. I know that you, you walk the talk and you're a true professional. And I'm wondering which of your personality traits do you believe has benefited you most in your acting career? I'm a pretty low key guy and I don't like drama. So I think that's helped me in that uh, I'm not the kind of actor that takes things personally. I always know that if I'm not getting a job or if there's a, a, a change, a decision change, and I, this has happened where you, you have a job and then suddenly you don't because somebody made a change. Um, I don't take it personally. Also, you know, I, I think that's really helped a lot. The, you know, the other thing that, that I do is, um, I'm not sure this is a personality trait, but maybe that maybe it is because I'm, I'm capable of doing this. I give myself like five minutes, 10 minutes max to think about stuff. Like if I go into an audition and I, and it's less than stellar, right. And I, I know I could have done better. I give myself a few minutes to think about how I could have done that. And maybe I try to learn something from that. And then I move on because really what's the point of focusing on anything, you know? Um, I think actors are really good at hanging on to their baggage and I'm, 
really good at letting it go. I mean, yeah, I have a couple of jobs that, that stick, right? It's like, man, I, you know, the circumstances were such that I really remember the details and I really wish that it didn't go the way it did. Um, but for the most part, I can't remember what I auditioned for last week <laughs> Yep, <laughs> because it, it's, it's just really important for me to flush it out of my brain, reset and get ready for the next one. Yeah. So I think just having it sort of like a low key personality, and that's not to say that I'm not detail oriented or I'm not type A because I am type A. I mean, I'm, I like to be in control. I like to make sure all my ducks are in a row. I like to be ultra prepared. I don't feel good when I'm not prepared. Um, you know, but being able to just let stuff go has made such a difference because I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who hold these, it's like they hold personal grudges with themselves. Mm. because they didn't do X or Y or Z. And like I said before, we have enough to worry about. Why are you going to give yourself more, something more to worry about, especially when it's within your control? Um, I'm glad that I've developed that letting go muscle because uh, it serves me well. You know what? You said you're type A and you like to be in control, but don't you think that that is probably the reason that you said this hanging on to things, holding grudges, feeling bad thing is not going to work in the long run. I better work on this and develop this muscle so that it's not a problem anymore. Yeah. I mean, you got to get rid of anything that might be in your way because God knows there's a million things that are in an actor's way, you know, that stand in the way between you and booking your next job. And Sam Samuelson at Stuart Talent, you know, he's got this great thing that he says, just control the things that you can control. And certainly the thing that you can control, you know, the most is yourself. So whatever that means to you, it means something different to everyone. But I recognized very early on that if I was going to spend time being all ticked off about the fact that I didn't get, you know, this audition or that job or whatever, uh, it was going to totally eat me up and I wasn't going to be able to be prepared. I wasn't going to have the bandwidth to get out of that space and get into the new space and be prepared for the next one. It's, it's interesting, you know, being an actor is, is, it's a constant thing. It never really goes away. You know, you complete one project and then you have to move on to the next one. Um, whatever you can do to get, to clear the path so that you can do that in an effective way, you know, you have to do. Otherwise you're just getting in your own way. And then you have nobody to blame about that, but yourself. To find out more about Chris or to sign up for his private coaching, go to his website, chrisagos.com. For anyone interested, I highly suggest getting a copy of Chris's book, Acting in Chicago. Although the latest edition of the book was published in 2013, almost all of the information is still applicable. I'd like to give a huge thanks to Gio Castellano, Darren Glass, Kara, and Greg Arizo for leaving me reviews on iTunes last week. The more iTunes reviews I get, the easier it is for me to book high-profile guests on this show that we can all learn from. I will personally thank everyone who leaves a review on an upcoming episode. I'm Lee Foster. Thanks for listening.